fostering more competition. Because if you really sit back and think, who should have been Amazon first? Sears and Roebuck. They had the catalog, they sold everything. Just the efficiency, they weren't there. But we should allow the next Amazon to come and the next Google. And yeah, they should start in the garage. But when you become big, you shouldn't be able to wipe everybody else out that you can't have competition. And that's what I'm seeing happening today. Hi, I'm Oren Cass, Executive Director of American Compass, and welcome to the American Compass podcast. Following the 2020 election, pundits and scholars speculated about the growing support for the Republican Party among a broadly working class and increasingly multi-ethnic base. On April 21st, I talked with House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy about his efforts to reach out and grow the Republican coalition, what it will take to build a GOP that is better attuned to the concerns of working class Americans, and where he sees the party going in the coming years. Please enjoy the conversation and check out more of our work at AmericanCompass.org. Obviously, there's been a tremendous amount of conversation in in recent months about the future direction of the GOP, uh, and Leader McCarthy is is at the heart of, of those deliberations and uh, and in his communication with with his constituents and other members of the Republican caucus. So we're delighted to have him with us today uh, and, and looking forward to hearing his thoughts on, on where the Republican Party is going to go from here. So thank you very much, Leader McCarthy, for joining us. Thanks for having me. No, our, our pleasure. We, we really appreciate you making some time. Uh, and, and I guess, you know, I think a really terrific place to start uh, would would just be, uh, of course, Congressman Jim Banks, the the chairman of the Republican Study Committee, had a, a memo a couple of weeks ago, uh, really underscoring what he saw as the importance of of the GOP focusing more on the working class and and developing a policy agenda that that would focus in that direction. Uh, and and so I'd I'd love to hear your your reactions to it and uh, and and how you see that likely to play out going forward. Well, you know, Jim Banks and I are very, very close, and I thought it was an excellent document. You know, it's something we've been talking about even before Banks did the document. I think uh, you'd find some of my writings and some of the stuff I talked about where President Trump was able to move the party, um, especially in policy-wise, that we are able to open ourselves up. That um, if you really look at things today, um, corporate America is the Democratic Party. Um, the American worker is the Republican Party in essence. And Jim Banks, what he did, we were, we were traveling. I was flying up to do an event at his, in his district and we were flying on the plane and he, he goes, look, I've been thinking about this, putting it together and hand it over to me. And exactly what we were looking to doing, how do we take our gains and expand them even further? Right. Um, if somebody sat back and they said, you know what, I did, I disagreed with president Trump or I didn't vote for it. They would say they agreed with his policies, if they ever had problems with it, they'd say something about personality, right? Um, but those policies united people and it unites the party at the same time and it expands the party. Think from one moment in the last election. Um, we won in Miami. Um, we won, of the 15 Democrats we beat, every Democrat lost a Republican woman or a pub minority. California, where the president didn't compete because he couldn't win California. He loses California by 5 million votes, but we win, defeat four Democrats. All four districts, president loses, three of them he loses by double digits, but it's the policies that made us win in a state that he wasn't even competing. California was actually our best state for um, Republicans. And in Congress, when you think about it, everybody thought we were gonna lose 15 seats. It's only the first time since 1994, no Republican incumbent lost. 
You know, it's only two times in the history of America that the party lose the White House and actually gain seats in the House. And 1892 and 1992, and both times they won the majority two years later. So I think what, what Jim is saying, let's look at our successes and let's expand on it. And the way you expand on it is you expand on the policy that we just started. And it's reached more people. It's made the party more diverse, um, reflecting more of America. And I think that is an excellent roadmap to start with. We're actually going to our retreat um, next week. And I'm putting together seven task forces. Um, we'll have members all assigned to different ones. And we're going to be working on our policy, doing exactly that, building it out further from big tech. You know, when you think of big tech, there's, there's two major issues, like privacy and competition. Um, and to me, it, it, it's not sitting back with your Republican or Democrat, but from the aspect of this competition, these big industries are just squashing any entrepreneur or small business who wants to start up. Um, then we're finding the privacy of ourselves, right? And why don't we just sit back and think, we believe in private property. Why don't we apply that same thing when it comes to big tech? And in big tech, when you think about it, uh, if, if, if you go onto Google, people say, oh, they give all these free products. No, 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 no. Uh, anything free on the internet, um, you are the product, right? It's your data is what they're selling. So why don't we make it like private property that you have control of your data? They have to tell you what they're taking. You have the right to move it, also have the right to delete it. And if they're monetizing it, you have a right to get part of that. You have the choice. If they want to monetize your data, you could say yes, but you get a piece of that. And that, may, maybe that's a gift card. Maybe that's financial resource. Maybe it's some other product, but you have the choice. Again, you're in control. Yeah. And so I, I think the idea of sort of the, the task forces is, is really interesting. And, and, you know, you described this, this comes down to policy is, is one of those task forces, a, a sort of working class or, or worker focused task force? And, and what do you see oh, yeah. as kind of the, the policies that are, that are for workers and, and maybe focused differently on workers than, than the Republican party would have in the past? Well, let, let's look for instance, um, what, what we would go through. We're, we're gonna do a number of different task forces and they're gonna be built upon the China task force that we just did. And Jim actually served on that. And let me give you a little background behind that. I had worked with Pelosi for eight months and the Democrats to try to get a co-equal number task force about China because we have no policy when it comes to China. That's, that's a big challenge for us for the next century, right? And why create one party or the other? Let's take American policy about China. Pelosi finally agrees and agrees to the number equal. We went so far as to ready to name them. We had the Washington Post in, interviewed, they're ready to do the story and she backed away. So I went forward with it anyways. And with all the different issues that would come upon China, it'd be the military, could be from technology, it could be from what they're doing in our education system. Um, I put people from all those different uh, committees and they came up with solutions, right? Two thirds of them were bipartisan. I had Democrats coming to me telling me they wanted to be a part of it. So I would see that all these different elements go into that. Immigration would be something about workers. Here we are with the Biden administration, just by a stroke of a pen, changes the course of what's happening on the border. And what really concerns me here with the Biden administration, they never take into, into consideration by just opening up a border, what does it do to the American worker for their jobs? 
What's it do with COVID that's happening right now? Um, what does it do to society itself on the expense and others of what's going forward? Um, that basis that I think people should have to have input to and have a policy about. We were actually successful the things we were doing along the border and now the president's fundamentally changed that and it wasn't by legislation itself. Then what is it when it comes to education? To me, you know, everybody will sit back and so many people think, oh, you gotta be a, a doctor or a lawyer to be successful. I don't believe that to be the case. You know, everybody should have opportunity for whatever they believe is successful. And I, I think we have an education system that's more than a hundred years old trying to deal in a 21st century idea. Um, and these universities pricing yourself out of the ability. Um, you know, I, I look at a couple different areas, you know, um, what I look, um, Sebastian Thorne, he uh, created um, Udacity. Mm -hmm. Okay. Have you ever heard of Udacity? Sure. So I found you guys, my, my son, he, he was going to college and I would start paying for this Udacity, $200 a month, right? So what is this? He goes, oh, I'm just getting this other education too, dad. So I go and see Sebastian. Sebastian's a brilliant guy, invented the driverless car, right? Um, Stanley that's in the Smithsonian, Google hires him. And why is that at Google? The thing you want to do out there is teach a course at Stanford. So unbeknownst to Stanford, you know what he does? He offers his course for free online. 140,000 people signed up, even people in our military who was out in the theater, right? So here he has these 20 brilliant Stanford kids, right? They get to see him in person. And he assumes they're one through 20 when the grades come out. They're not. The very brightest kid that's in there at Stanford that's seeing him in the classroom, it's like 550th, hmm. the person online. So you know what he does at Udacity? You pay $200 a month. Maybe he's changed it. I don't know. Once you get the course done, you get half your money back. And he had at the beginning, you get a nano degree, right? And once you get the nano degree, if you don't have a job in six months, you get your full tuition back. Could you imagine a university doing that? Instead of just saying, I'm going to put you all in debt and you're responsible, but I'm not responsible for getting you a job or anything else. The return yeah. on the investment. No, that's that's really interesting, I think, and, and points to just the the amount of innovation there's there's the potential for here. Um, I'm, I'm struck in sort of as you were describing some of the the issues you're, you're focused on, you know, you mentioned the, the question of sort of corporations and, and the degree to which corporate America seems to, to be on, on the other side on a lot of issues at this point. And, and we touched a little bit on tech and, and on, on globalization with China as well. Um, where, where, if at all, does, does Wall Street fit into the picture? And, and do you see them and, and sort of Wall Street versus Main Street as, as also a, an area where Republicans are, are rethinking things or, or oh, still a place? Yeah. I mean, yeah, go ahead. think about 21st century. I mean, I, I was just on CNBC the other day and here you have Yellen uh, um, putting together a climate change person. And she's very proud of that inside the Federal Reserve. Um, I look at FinTech, I look at um, Bitcoin, I mean, here we are moving in the 21st century, and I think it's the Republicans out there that have led the charge. When we crafted the bill for COVID relief and others, we allowed FinTech, we allowed um, credit unions, we allowed your community banks all in. Before you had to just do this one little entity, right? Now it's where the people go, right? Let them prosper what's happening. And ca where capital is king, jobs are created. And before Walmart, I mean, Wall Street, they, they had a monopoly on capital. So you had to just go to them. No, 
let's disperse it out where anybody could provide the capital and the risk, right? Just so you understand my background, right? I wasn't born into the Republican Party. I chose to be in this party. My family are all Democrats. Um, my family is not wealthy. I get out of high school. I don't have the grades that I can get a scholarship and my folks can't send me away to college. They don't have the wealth. So I go to community college. But I, but I always had a strong work ethic, right? Um, that's what my family believed in. And so I worked, I worked jobs, just like every job you would think about from behind the meat counter to boxing groceries and you name it, firefighter, seasonal. Um, but I, I mean a guy that owns a liquor store that, that has a car dealer's license, right? I talk him into taking me to the LA car auction. It's not far from my hometown, two hours. And I start buying and selling cars and I'm flipping them to pay my way through college. Um, while I'm doing this, when you're at community college, you go visit your friends who are away at college, right? I have a friend at Stanford, a friend at SC, some friends at San Diego State. So I'm going to go visit some buddies at San Diego State. This is probably before you were born. This is 1985. So I go to the grocery store to cash a check, not to the bank, but to the grocery store. So you can understand my wealth. I'm going to cash a check for money for that weekend. The day before lotto started in California. So I bought a lottery ticket and I won the lottery. True story. <laughs> I'm 20 years old. It's Friday night. I just won $5,000, the most you can win in 1985 money. And I end up 10 minutes from Tijuana, right? So I come back, take my folks to dinner, give my brother and sister each 100 bucks. I take the majority of the rest of the money. I put it all in one stock. Because one thing you learn about me, I'm a risk taker. I made 30% of my money in six weeks. So I go out and I try to buy a franchise. But no one's going to sell me a franchise because I'm 20 years old. I go to the bank. Where's my business plan? They're not going to loan me any money. So I open up my own deli. I sell my, I sell my stock. I refinance the cars I was trying to sell. And I put money on a credit card and I take a risk, right? And I open this deli and there's three lessons I learned that have never left me from any of my small business. I was the first to work. I was last to leave and I was last to be paid. And you know what? I was pretty successful. So at the end of two years, I didn't have enough capital. I could pay my way through college without working. So I sell my business. I'm going to college and there's an article in the paper to be a summer intern in Washington, D.C. with my local congressman. Don't know him, but think he'd be lucky to have me. So I applied, right? You know what he did? He turned me down. But you want to know the end of the story? I now sit in the congressional seat I could not get an internship for. Only in America could that happen. But was that Wall Street loaning me money? Was that the local bank loaning me money? No, I took a risk. So in today's world for capital, why does government put all these restrictions? What if I knew somebody that had capital that wanted to invest? What if I had other ways of selling shares within there? Um, let's unshackle our ability for people with ideas and people who are willing to take risks because you know who it's going to help the most? It's going to help a person that has probably less money. It's going to help more minority communities with opportunity zones and others. That's the way Republicans should be saying. So they're going to go in communities that they normally don't vote Republican, but our policies are gonna lift them out of the idea of what government is today. We'll just give you a paycheck, or we'll give you housing, or we're gonna give you childcare. What Americans truly believe, they want, they want self-worth. They wanna they want do it themselves, right? But just don't put these obstacles up where I can't get there. These corporations that come out now and say, oh, Amazon, I, I'm, I'm for raising the corporate tax rate. Well, they don't pay the corporate tax rate because of some loophole they take off. But you know what Amazon does? Amazon competes. They sell tools now too. So they also compete against 
the Milwaukee tool that, that they actually sell on there. So they don't kill. But you know what? That small business make that tool? They're going to pay the 28%. So what we're finding is these large corporations, they like more government regulation. Why? Because it keeps the small guy out. It keeps the competition away. We should be fostering more competition. Because if you really think, sit back and think, who should have been Amazon first? Sears and Roebuck. They had the catalog. They sold everything. Just the efficiency. They weren't there. But we should allow the next Amazon to come and the next Google. And yeah, they should start in the garage. But when you become big, you shouldn't be able to wipe everybody else out that you can't have competition. And that's what I'm seeing happening today. I think the point about getting capital out to, to small businesses and, and entrepreneurs is, is incredibly important. And, and it's, it's, it's funny to hear your description of, of the challenges you, know, you saw in the 1980s, which I think a lot of people would describe as probably a, a lot of the same challenges they would face today. Um, and, and yet, in, you know, in, in the meantime, obviously, we have a, a financial sector that's, that's much, much larger than it used to be, but that's concentrated in other kinds of activities, whether that's private equity, hedge funds, you know, you mentioned Bitcoin and some of the cryptocurrency. Everybody's got a SPAC. That, that's right. You got, yeah, I saw Shaquille O'Neal is working is, is advising a SPAC, and I, I was wondering who put their money into that one. Um, do, do you see, is that a related problem or do we have too much of that and not enough of, of the good stuff or, or are they just you sort of let Wall Street do what it wants? Well, I'm not into let Wall Street do what it's want. I don't want Wall Street to control because what you're finding today is, think about this, right? When people retire, they get their, 50, um, their 401ks and others, let them invest, let, let them have the ability. But many of the rules are arcane and like 100 years old that gave an advantage to Wall Street. Um, you don't need that much anymore, right? So let, let's let others spur it off. Because what happens when you create a small business, you create it successful and you have others, locals invest in it, they reap the benefit, right? Well, they become angels and have those angels and they redevelop an entire community and it only fosters from within. And in today's world, you can do it anywhere, right? You and I are talking, we don't have to be in person anymore. So I don't have to live in Silicon Valley. I don't have to be on Wall Street. Right? And so now any community could have the benefit and anybody living anywhere, right? I don't have to have the library that I have to go into. I could get it downloaded to me and that can change my education. It could change my opportunity. It could change the investment. Um, it changes my ability to sell. It changes the competition that you love. I've got better quality. I've got the ability to reach more market. I could do more market share. Who wins in that? The consumer wins in that. The, the entrepreneur wins in that, all right? So we're all at a benefit. Yeah, no, that, that certainly makes a lot of sense. I think uh, we have time for maybe one, one more topic and, and I'm, I'm reflecting on how, as is often the case in, in these types of conversations, we've focused a lot ultimately on, on the entrepreneurs and, um, and, and the job creators. You know, a, a, another issue that's been in the news a lot, also related to Amazon, is, is unions and labor. Um, and, you know, I think particularly the, the Republican Party for, for both political and economic reasons has, has not been a fan of big labor by any means. Um, 
But on, on the other hand, I think there are, are some folks who, who have at least expressed an interest in, in saying, well, well what, what could we give workers? If, you know, workers don't especially seem to want what big labor is offering, but they might want more than nothing. Um, and, and so I'm curious, as you think from the worker's perspective, do you see any sort of interest or, or opportunity to, to think about what else could they have that's, that's not a labor union, but, but that's more than nothing? Or, or, or what else at all can, can public policy offer to, to workers as, as they approach the labor market? You know, that's a great idea because um, in today's workplace, all unions are not equal. And I've watched them grow and change over time. The need for when they're created, but some of the biggest unions today are government employee unions. And they're just fighting to, to carve out more of a pension and others, right? Um, but when you think of unions where they created and others that um, are almost a manual labor working in that process, that they get lost in the shuffle. I look for a prospect like this. If I'm going to invest in something, I want it to return for it. If I'm a worker, I want accountability. I want the reason why I'm providing resources from, from my paycheck. What is it going for? Um, and, and you raise a good issue here. We should rethink almost everything we do. Is it the best use of what we're doing? Looking at a union today, is there a better way to provide it, especially you can have greater technology today, so you can have greater accountability. You could provide more service for less fee. And could you empower the worker themselves, right? So if let, let's, let's take from a, a philosophical approach. If we believe within healthcare, we can pool because it would help us more people pool together to save money within our insurance, but we got the choice. If, if we look from our cable, right? Well, we got choice. We don't have to go with one cable company like we did in the 80s, whoever the, was wired. And, and we could create a package, right? I could, I could get the Dodgers and the Lakers, but I could have HBO or something else that I want. Why couldn't we have that competition when it came to unions? And it's not, not thinking from a negative point of view about unions. What I'm looking at is the worker themselves. Because who's providing the money to the union? The workers. So the power for the workers is who's giving me the greatest return on my money, Right. So maybe this other one will have better health care, charge me less, or provide a better service. Why can't we open them up then? Because then that's competition. And we're using our philosophy and our principles that benefit the worker, that they're empowered greater to have a better option for the future. Yeah. I mean, we should rethink, and that would, that would have to change labor law to allow them to do that. And instead yeah. of looking after... The one person at the top, we're looking at the bottom of the pyramid. Let's empower them. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good way of putting it with, with the point about it coming down to worker choice in, in a lot of cases. And whereas the historical view has been, you know, maybe the business would just be best off if there was just, if, if there was just no union. Yeah. It, it sounds that's like true. what you're that's saying is, too. sorry, go ahead. They, ha they have that choice. I mean, why are you forced into something? Just as an American themselves, I don't want to have to be forced into anything. Let me make my choice. I think I'm smart enough to fail or succeed on my own. And if I earned it and I worked for it, let me decide what I'm going to do. And if I think it's worthy to have one, I could choose to be in one. But I could have a choice of many. 
And do you think is 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 our economy ultimately better off if if workers do find unions that 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 they're happy with and and represent them, or in a world where you you know the the managers are in charge and 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 you don't have the a union on the scene? Think about the gig economy, right? It's growing so big. And here we, I live in California. The first thing they did, right? They watched Uber and everybody else grow. Well, think about Uber themselves, right? Here you are, you may have another job, your refrigerator breaks. I can go drive for Uber for a little while and I make enough money to buy a refrigerator. Or I could drive whenever I want to and I can earn enough money to take my kids to Disneyland, right? Or I may be tired and work a little plan if they want to do something for my grandkids. The worker has the choice then, right? But what they do, they go and put in a union, try to force it upon them where they wouldn't be able to succeed. We had to do an initiative to change that. If you're going to have an economy of the 21st century, it's not going to be successful if you have ideas of the 1950s. And that's the basis of what a union looks like today when an economy totally changes. They never thought of an Uber. They thought of a cab company, right? You've got to buy a medallion. But think about what an Uber allows you to do. I can rate my driver. I can tell him when to come to. I don't have to stand out in the rain and wave my hand. They can rate me. I could find out what's cheaper. I could take an Uber share. I'm empowered. So why don't we take that same philosophy to government? Why wouldn't, if you were a veteran, and we hear all, all these problems about people, veterans trying to get appointments, why can't they make an appointment on their phone? Why can't they rate their doctor? Well, I mean, think about what that would do. It'd be more efficient. It'd be empowering the veteran for the care of best way to go. You'd have a rating system to know who's good, who's not. I mean, we could transform it, but we can't live in the 1950s being in the 21st century. That's I, no disagreement there. I, and I think it, it, it certainly lays out a, a, a sort of terrific framework for, for the work that you've described that, uh, that, that you and your caucus will be doing. So I think we're out of time. We, we really appreciate you, uh, you joining us and, and we are looking forward to hearing about the, the task forces and, uh, and, and, and the policy work to come. So thank well, you very much for me. all your leadership. I love that Rockwell behind you. Do you know the story of that Rockwell? I do actually. I am, I am in the town uh, north of, of, of where, where Rockwell painted. Uh, and, and school, that board is, meeting. school board meeting, right? Yes, that is Jim Edgerton. We, yeah, uh, actual and, people. That's, <laughs> that's exactly right. Uh, I'm, I'm delighted, <laughs> delighted you're familiar with it as well. Well, great to see you. Thanks for having me. Look forward to keeping, continuing talking to you. Thank you very much, Leader McCarthy. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the American Compass podcast. If you enjoyed this, please tell a friend and don't forget to subscribe. To learn more about American Compass and read our work, please visit AmericanCompass.org.